Hey, Fidelity. How can I remember to invest every month? With the Fidelity app, you can choose a schedule and set up recurring investments in stocks and ETFs. Oh, that sounds easier than I thought. You got this. Yeah, I do. Now, where did I put my keys? You will find them where you left them. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. Sort of a mid-season, man, there's a lot happening podcast this week. Uh, and I'm joined as always by my friend from NBC Sports, Miles Simmons. And we are going to discuss things all about the NFL and some kind of tangentially about the NFL. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence a little bit later on and its role in the Amazon Prime video games, which I think uh, is going to become something that all networks are going to end up looking at pretty seriously. And I'll have on from Amazon Prime Video one of the driving forces behind the uh, inclusion of artificial intelligence and its impact on the, uh, on the at least the telecasting streaming of football games. Sam Schwartzstein of uh, Amazon will join us a little bit later in the podcast. And Miles, look, I, I find as we record this, I find that almost more than ever, uh, I think we only know one thing about the current NFL season. And that one thing, it's starting to remind me of the New England Patriots. And that is that the Kansas City Chiefs are always going to be good. They just always are. I mean, it, it, you know, what have they done this year? They're six and one. The one loss is a very, very sketchy loss to Detroit leading off the season. And not to take that win away from the Detroit Lions, but I think we both watched that game and said, man, nine times out of 10, 95 out of 100, Kansas City would have won that game, just didn't win the game. That's the way it goes sometimes in the NFL. You see that. Mm -hmm. But everything else that we think that we know every week it sort of changes and we're going to start off talking a little bit about the Monday night game as a microcosm of that in San Francisco everything that they tried to do was a struggle it was a three-hour trip to the dentist without Novocaine it just was the 49ers just do not look like a dominant team. I have my theory, but what did that game tell you about these two teams and about this season, Miles Simmons? 
Well, I, I think that Kevin O'Connell kicked the crap out of Steve Wilkes last night. And, and that's not something that I necessarily expected to say. It's just the Kevin O'Connell scheme and what they were doing to get Jordan Addison in favorable matchups. Just it, it was really, really a dominant performance, I thought, by one coaching side over another. And you don't necessarily think that that's going to happen when the other team has as many great players on defense as San Francisco does. Now, I think by the same token, San Francisco was missing Debo Samuel, right? They were also missing Trent Williams. And this is something that we see time and again with Kyle Shanahan's 49ers. Can they withstand the injuries? They had a similar game kind of last year, I want to say against Atlanta, where it was just kind of like a critical mass of players were missing. And so they end up losing that game to the Falcons. I think last night may have been similar, but... It also, you did have that element of scheme at play where it's just O'Connell continued to find the favorable matchups. And Kirk Cousins said, you know, bleep the narrative. I'm going to be really good on Monday night football. And he was, he was great. He was tremendous. And so that's, I guess, the story of it. And now the Vikings who looked terrible a couple weeks ago and looked like maybe they were going to have a lost season. You know, Hey, why are you going to talk about trading Kirk Cousins now? You know, you don't need to do that. You're still in the thick of it. The weird thing about the Vikings is, and I mean, even with the injury to Justin Jefferson, you still look at that offense as a potentially really potent offense because in essence, you know, KJ uh, Osborne, and Jordan Addison, and now basically emerging Jordan Addison, you just yeah. say, well, you know, it should be good enough to win, and it is. But the weird thing, Miles, and I and I thought of this watching the game last night uh, as we record on Tuesday. You know, this is a team that in the last four weeks has scored 21, 20, 19, and 22 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not good for the Minnesota Vikings. And yet they've won three out of four. The reason is that Brian Flores has come in and he is, and, and look, we, we see, you say, I, you probably saw the Michael Smith interview with uh, Tua Tonga where it looked like, you know, it just it, it, nothing said directly by Tua Tonga about his time with Brian Flores, but hints dropped everywhere about how I'm happy, I'm free, I'm myself, I'm I'm all this stuff. And the clear inference is that, man, I am glad to be away from Brian Flores, let's face it. And yet, Brian Flores has gone to Minnesota, and maybe he he is the, you know, the strict dad that this team really needed because on defense in the last four weeks, they're winning games, not because they're shredding people with their offense, but because they're stopping people on defense. And this team's only allowed 17 points a game the last four weeks. So I think the Vikings, it's not a recipe for winning a championship necessarily. The one other very weird thing about the Minnesota Vikings. Miles, do you realize that 
they do not play the Detroit Lions until Christmas Eve. And they play the Detroit Lions in week 16 and in week 18. Hmm. So it's going to be a... If these two teams, if the, if the Vikings against a very weak schedule can build up some wins and still be in it in December... I mean, those are going to be two very interesting games. Now, again, look, it looks like, because I am not one of those people who say, well, the Lions fell to earth, they're done. I don't say that at all. I say, that was a bad game they had Sunday. And they faced an all-world quarterback playing at the peak of all of his powers after giving people a lot to question him. And we'll talk about the Ravens in a minute. But... So that's about the Vikings. They're an interesting little team to study now. But let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers. You mentioned it right there that, and I believe in this strongly, that they had probably two of their four or five most talented offensive players. Trent Mm -hmm. Williams at left tackle and Debo Samuel at wide receiver, inactive. Uh, you know, and not not suited up Monday night at Minnesota. And look, you look at Brock Purdy, he was kind of under attack the whole night. Daniil Hunter was reborn in this game. And so I think the way I look at this is, Miles, that, that as much as everybody wants to say, okay, you know, the Niners, they're not it either. I just think that you have to be patient with, uh, patient is probably the wrong word. I'll say this, you have to be non-judgmental when you're entering week eight of an NFL season. Because right now, I would just say this, if you were to tell me, and this is a big if, if you were to tell me that on January 10th, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Brock Purdy, uh, and Christian McCaffrey and Trent Williams were all starting for the 49ers. All of those guys. I would say that's the best team in the NFC. But again, it's, it's almost Russian roulette because they play such a physical style of football. And look, Trent Williams had a fl- got a fluky injury, but... Uh, you know, Debo Samuel is is a bowling ball, and he is bound. I'm not saying he's bound to get hurt, but he's definitely. You know that he has a chance every week to get banged up because of how physical he plays. So, I really like the Niners, but I would say that with an asterisk. I really like the Niners healthy. Yeah, certainly. And I, and I like them healthy, too. It's interesting. And you you mentioned it in your column, Peter, that, you know, we're, I don't know what, a third, a little bit more of a third of the way through the season. And who do we have at the top of the conference is but, you know, Kansas City and Philadelphia at six and one and everybody else is just kind of like, oh, well, we're we're in it, but we're still trying to get to that level. And it's interesting that San Francisco also now is, too, because I don't know, I. Heading into last week's game against the Cleveland Browns, like I thought that San Francisco was going to be one of these teams that might lose one game the entire season. 
and that might be a fluky game and then they're just going to keep rolling because that just is I don't know the, the the vibe that they had built up over the first five weeks and then they go to Cleveland and they get kind of run off the field and maybe not run off the field is the wrong word because they had the chance to win at the end of the game right so they maybe should have won that game, but they didn't. So, you know, look, you go to one loss and then you think that they're going to be able to rebound against Minnesota because Minnesota had just not played to the capabilities that they had last year. Let's say on offense, right? Defense started to get better, but I just didn't expect to see that offense not be able to get into the end zone like we saw last night, even without Trent Williams, you know, and without Debo Samuel, it's just kind of the expectation. I guess I had in my brain of what I thought the 49ers were and now they've lost two. So it's not like, Oh man, we have to panic. The 49ers are going to do this. They're going to do that. Are they even going to win the division? I don't, I don't feel that way. You know, I, I still think that they are the best team in the NFC West, and I think that they are going to still be the number one or number two seed, however this thing plays out. But it, it is interesting when you see a team not play to the way that you expect them to, and the team probably thought that they would come out and play better too. Now they're coming off their first loss. So I think that last night's game was surprising for several, several reasons, just one of them being the way that San Francisco played. They did not necessarily respond in the fashion that I thought they would after that Cleveland loss. By the way, you know, this hit me last night, Miles, when I saw uh, Jake Moody of the 49ers kick a 40-yard field goal three feet wide um, early on in that game. And so... At halftime of the game, I looked it up. I love drafthistory.com. It's a great site. And you can organize it in all these different ways. But what I did is I just put, you know, basically I clicked on kickers being, you know, being drafted. And I looked at all of the kickers in the last 15 years who've been drafted in the first four rounds. I'm going to read you. There are five of them. Five kickers picked in the top four rounds in the last 15 years. Here they are. 2011, Alex Henry by Philadelphia. 2016, Roberto Aguayo of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 2022, Cade York of the Cleveland Browns. 2023, Chad Ryland by New England and Jake Moody of San Francisco. Now, just for fun, Alex Henry lasted three and a half very indistinguished seasons, undistinguished, whatever, non-distinguished seasons, okay? (laughs) Roberto Aguayo kicked one year and then never kicked in the NFL again. Just couldn't take the pressure of being a second-round draft choice and having everybody focus on that. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to Cade York. Cade York kicks for one year, one year for the Browns. Has some moments, then gets cut this year because Kevin Stefanski can't trust him. So where's where does that leave us? It leaves us this year with Chad Ryland, who from 40 yards and beyond right now is five out of nine. So he's a huge question mark. And Jake Moody, who, even though he kicked one long one last night, 
he is struggling. He already cost him one game at Cleveland. Yep. And my whole point is, I say it about Nick Folk, okay, that who never misses. And I look at the Patriots and I say, so what? This guy is 37, 38 years old. You know, Gary Morton Anderson kicked Lee was 96. I mean, you know, kicker age is a ridiculous <laughs> thing. And, you know, the 49ers are feeling it right now. And so I, I, I don't even know why I brought this up other than it is so incredibly obvious. Because, look, I named you those five who were all drafted in the first four rounds. Let me give you five right now who were not drafted, okay? Justin Tucker, Matt Prater, Youngway Koo, Chris Boswell, Brandon McManus. Those are five of the top 10 kickers in football right now. And, 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 And I'll also tell you, here are five who were drafted, but they were drafted beyond pick 140. Uh, Dustin Hopkins, Matt Gay, Nick Folk, Harrison Butker. So, I mean, I, I just, it is so obvious to me that you shouldn't draft kickers high. And over and over again, you know, I bet if I go back and read everything written about Jake Moody coming into this year, oh my God, this guy, you know, everybody wanted him. That's what you heard uh, after the draft. Why'd you pick Jake Moody in the third round? Everybody wanted him. Teams were trying to trade up to get Jake Moody. We know that. We know this. And look, overall, I love the job that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have done in San Francisco. It's not over for Jake Moody. I'm not saying that it is. However, you know, I don't understand why you fall in love with a kicker because over and over and over again, football history shows the road is littered with guys who just can't do it. And the road is populated by guys who you had to spend 10 cents on. And you bring them into the team and they kick great. So I just think we get smitten with guys say, oh, this guy will be our kicker for the next 15 years. How'd that turn out with Alex Henry, Philadelphia? How'd that turn out with Roberto Aguayo, Tampa? It just, you know, learn from history. I think, Peter, the, the, Peter, the only name that like comes to mind is somebody who was drafted high and actually worked out is Sebastian Janikowski. And we got to go Sebastian back to 25 the only years one. for that, right? Yeah, exactly. That's That's the only one. And at that point, I think we know it's the exception and not the rule, right? And yeah, it's great that he did work out for as long as he did with the Raiders. But man, I mean, as you said, the, it's not necessarily a very good idea to do that because you see what happens, right? And when teams have to then go adjust and get a new kicker on the fly, a lot of times that guy works out a lot better. I mean, look what the Browns are doing with Dustin Hopkins yeah. right now. That dude has been arguably the best kicker in the league. What did he cost? A seven, he was a seventh-round pick? Yeah, uh, yeah, a swap of sevens, I think. Seventh round, in five weeks in a row, he's kicked a 50-yarder. Yeah. 
First time that's ever happened in I league mean, history. It, it's unbelievable what he's been able to do and help the Browns win games, especially as the quarterback situation is as it is over there between Dustin Hopkins and Miles Garrett. Man, that's that's a pretty lethal combo right now. So yeah, it's interesting the way the the mental game seems to affect kickers who are drafted high. Because I I don't I mean I guess it affects everybody in every position in different ways, but there's such a it's such a spotlight on the kicker. Like when the kicker does not do their job, it is glaringly obvious in some ways when the left tackle doesn't yeah. do their job, like you mostly can tell, especially if they're against a powerful edge rusher, like a miles Garrett. But you know, if the guard is drafted in the second round and you know, he lets by an interior pressure, there's a chance that the running back is going to be able to step up and fill in the protection or the center can slide over and help them out you just have this huge spotlight on the kicker if they can or can't make it. And it's tough mentally. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that too much, but at the same time, when you're a professional and you need to do your job, you got to do your job. If you're kicking from 40 in a dome, you can't sail it three yards wide, right? Same thing. Blake groupie did last Thursday night. Can't have those things happen when you're kicking at a dome. You just can't have it. Yeah. I, I, I just, um, there are sometimes, I think if I ever worked for an NFL team, I would probably not be able to work there very long because I would, (laughs) if I ever saw our team about to draft a kicker high in a draft, I I might just say, are you out of your minds? I, I, you know, so... (laughs) Saying things like that would not lead to a long life working for an NFL team. Miles, before we go to our guest, Sam Schwartzstein, I want to just make one other point. And I want to talk about a moral of the story entering week eight of the 2023 NFL season. And I have a feeling we could say this most years, if not all years, but... I think what has been one of the sort of the trademarks of this early season is that you know Miami looked unbe- unbeatable and then they lost two games in short order by 28 and 14 points. Buffalo puts up 48 on Miami and then loses two of the next three and can't score. Yeah. Uh The Niners beat Dallas by 32, then lose two straight. Uh, Detroit looks like they're a team without a weakness. And then they go to Baltimore, a team that had been struggling on offense, and Baltimore beats them by 32 points and looks like the 27 Yankees. So so (laughs) I think the one thing that we should always learn is that you never take one game as something to totally convince you of anything in the NFL. Like right now, I would say, I'm not worried about the Detroit Lions. I think the Detroit Lions are really a good team. I think they're going to win that division, even though Minnesota's coming on a bit. They're going to win that division by multiple games. I hope that those Minnesota-Detroit games matter, but... I'm dubious whether they will, you know, late in the season. But my 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 only point is don't 
go crazy over one week or two weeks. And my biggest example that I'm going to use about it is San Francisco. Because if you don't have Debo Samuel and you don't have Trent Williams, all of a sudden, your uh, unstoppable team, obviously, is incredibly stoppable, as we've seen two weeks in a row. I just want to get your thought about that, about how one of the things that I really love about an NFL season, honestly, is that nothing is forever. When you think you know, you don't. Right, Peter. I mean, you know, how many how many times do we see it every single year? It's like, man, okay, I, I think I have a good read on what this team is, and then they go out and they lay an absolute egg, right? And then you see other teams where you're like, Yeah, they're not very good. It's for whatever reason they're just not very good. And then for whatever reason they get a late season surge, and all of a sudden they've now backed into the sixth or seventh seed in the postseason. It's just one of those things that we think we know, but we don't always know. I mean, I think, <laughs> and now, now I hesitate to say this because the Lord only knows what's going to happen next week, but I think we know that Kansas City and Philadelphia are good, right? Like, I do think we know that, but that doesn't mean that those two teams are completely unbeatable. I mean, they've already been beaten, right? There are no more undefeated teams this year. So I think that we can say, yeah, at the end of the year, Kansas City and Philadelphia are going to be somewhere near the top of their respective conferences. But beyond that, I mean, everything's so topsy-turvy. I mean, I came into this season thinking that Buffalo might miss the playoffs. The Buffalo was going to miss the playoffs, I guess I should say. It's on the record somewhere. But now, you know, I, I start to feel that way again after I saw them go, dismantle Miami the way that they did. I'm like, okay, well, then the demise of the Buffalo Bills in my mind was far exaggerated, but the way that they played against new England, one of the worst teams in football right now, that which is just what they are. All right. You don't lose by, you know, 34 points and whatever else it was, 33 points or 35 points the week before you don't do that and not be one of the worst teams in football. I'm sorry. And you let Mac Jones, Mac freaking Jones go down the field on you and score. What's going on, Buffalo? What's going on with that defense? Why is it that in those critical late game situations and nobody wants to go back and talk about 13 seconds, but I'm sorry. Like that's, this is one of the things that is going to get brought up, right? When you have these late game collapses and I guess it was Leslie Frazier's fault before because you got rid of him, whatever happened there. And now it's still Sean McDermott calling the defense and you can't stop a screen on first down and it goes, what, 30, 40 yards down the field to set up this light, late score that Mac Jones gets to do with 12 seconds on the clock. I, I don't understand what's going on in Buffalo, but they better figure it out because there are a lot of good teams in the AFC. And right now, Cincinnati's not even in that postseason picture. Cincinnati's heating up. They're getting hot. Cincinnati's going to be a factor. And the, uh, the rest of the AFC North teams are all at least two games above 500. So there, it, if you are yeah. any other team in the AFC, you got to look out for what's going on in the AFC North. Cause yeah, they'll cannibalize each other a little bit, but I think that those are, that's probably four good teams that would not shock me completely. If at least three made the playoffs, if not all four, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, Peter. Yeah. The reason why I don't think I, I mean, look, who knows what's going to happen. 
but it's so hard for four teams from a division to make it because you cannibalize each other. You know, it's something, something weird is going to happen in the division. I don't know what, but somebody's going to end up being seven and 10 or eight and nine. It, It look, and it's mathematically possible for all of them to win 10, of course, but it's certainly not likely. But anyway, we'll see what happens. Miles, I want to get to our guest. Sam Schwartzstein uh, is the former center for Andrew Luck in 2011 at Stanford University. They became good friends. They're actually working together now because Luck is a consultant along with several other former NFL players. He's a consultant to the artificial intelligence that's being used on the Amazon Prime video telecast. It just started um, a week and a half ago in the Denver-Kansas City game. You may have noticed it, may have seen it uh, in the game this past Thursday with Jacksonville and New Orleans. And I wrote about this a lot in my column in Football Morning in America this week because when I watched this game, I felt like I was watching the future of football on television and streaming. There's a reason why the NFL went to Amazon uh, in 2021 as a new uh, media partner. And the reason is that they knew that they were going to be pushing the envelope using all of their advanced technology to basically try to make the game more interesting when you watch it. And in this particular game, you'll hear uh, the discussion with Sam Schwartzstein about why I think that this has made football so much more of an interesting media product now. I always want to say more interesting on TV, but it's not on TV. You can put it on your TV, but in essence, it's streaming. And, And so it's a little bit different than standard television as we know. So let's listen to Sam Schwartzstein. And this is a discussion. It's going to take about 29 minutes. I hope you don't skip through it because I think you'll learn a lot about what the future is of the game that you watch. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Sell order assessment fee not included. A limited number of ETFs are subject to a transaction-based service fee of $100. See full list at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back on the podcast, so happy to be joined uh, this week. And it's a, it's really a different element of the podcast than really I've ever done before. Um, we, we have from Amazon Prime Video, somebody is doing something really, really different and interesting. And when I heard about it just a few days ago, I said, 
I really want to explore this on a podcast because I think there's a very good chance it's the future. So we have Sam Schwartzstein of uh, Amazon Prime Video, uh, a key part of their telecast. And actually, if you watch the Amazon Prime games on Thursday night, what you see is you see different elements of how to watch the game. You can watch it with the regular feed, you know, with Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet. You could watch it en Espanol uh, with with their crew. But you can also watch a very technical aspect of it. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, in this uh, podcast segment. Um, And I have been really fascinated to read about it a little bit and to find out a little bit about how artificial intelligence is beginning to influence the telecasting and streaming of football games that we're going to see in the future. And Sam Shortstein, welcome to the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to learning something in the next few minutes about something I know absolutely nothing about. So thank you. Well, thank you. That's that's one of my favorite things to do is to help educate, make smarter football fans. That's kind of my goal in life. So, Sam, I want you, let's talk about, first of all, who you are and how you got involved in this, because you have a very interesting backstory involving a former college teammate at Stanford. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I have a pretty favorite, uh, famous college roommate in Andrew Luck. Um, we finally got to work together again. Uh, as we uh, we did lose the quiz bowl. I don't know if you saw in the TNF nightcap after the San Francisco uh, versus New York Giants game. Uh, but he, he he is someone who I've 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 talked to for years. We're close friends. I'm close with the whole family. Oliver Luck, who I worked with at the XFL uh, when we tried to reimagine football there from 2018 to 2020 as well. So um, we played together at Stanford and then we've continued to communicate. And he helps me prepare each week to, for prime vision with next gen stats. Okay, so you have imagined football in a different way because I watched the Jacksonville-New Orleans game on Thursday night, basically in your, you know, your prime vision. And, and it was so interesting because you're basically trying to predict and foreshadow what is about to happen. Before we get into that, though, I'd like you to explain your concept and how it is that you said, you know, I think we can do something with a football game and we can use some portions of artificial intelligence to try to help us to help make people smarter fans. Just explain how it all came about. Yeah, so uh, I joined Amazon in uh, around June. I started working with them uh, of last year, 2022. uh, And they'd already had this idea for an alternate broadcast called Prime Vision with Next Gen Stats. And it was about trying to identify the hitting game of football, right? And that's what the original analytics book about, or football analytics book was called, The Hitting Game of Football. Um, And it was about, that's where we have the all 22 camera angle, we have the player um, ID tags. We have all these different features that are helping you see the game in a way that you haven't seen it before. 
on other broadcasts. And that's including being able to integrate analytics into the broadcast uh, part of the game. When we set out this offseason, um, we were thinking about what are these big ideas we can do now that we are Amazon, that we are in a unique spot as a sports broadcaster that has that is a tech, tech company first. And so we looked at all these different ideas of what we could do. And the first one came to mind is how do we identify uh, the players that are going to blitz or at least take you into the mindset of what I used to do when I played center in college, what Andrew used to do when he, we would both try and figure out what, what should our protection be? What should the blitz plan be? What should the blitz pickup be? Because that's the first thing they're looking at. And there weren't a lot of things that we could do to help people to watch defense in a unique way. A lot of things we could do on offense, how fast the ball carrier is moving, how much yards after catch they're getting, but it's hard to identify the defense. And so we thought about doing it from a rules-based perspective. Take what uh, what you know I have as rules as offensive lineman, how many eligible receivers are over on one side of the field, how many coverage players are on that same side of the field. Could this player possibly blitz? But then talking with our science team, which is an amazing team all over the world, uh, they said, I think we could do this with machine learning and AI. And we went through the process to be able to identify where we using machine learning where we don't have a readout of the rules or the specific reasons why someone's being highlighted as a potential blitzer. But we know that it's being ingested from thousands of plays that are then creating that that identification tag of this player is likely going to blitz. And it's there you can never be 100% right because we're doing everything in real time pre-snap. And you can never be 100% right because some of the times if it's called a green dog blitz, if the linebacker is man on the running back, if he goes out for a pass, if the running back goes out for a pass, the linebacker will be man on him. If he stays in the block, that linebacker will blitz. So we're just giving you an idea of looking at the defense the same way the quarterback is. They're trying to break down what players are going to do in what coverages, but mostly where should I set the protection on which players are going to blitz? Okay, but Sam, tell me, where does artificial intelligence come into this? And who is your artificial intelligence team? Who... Who are the people who designed this to make you able to highlight people who you think might be blitzers on a specific play? Yeah, so we have a machine learning team um, based all over the country, all over the world uh, that are the people that are uh, built the software, the model that breaks down every play to identify which players are likely. Where are they? Where are the people who built the model? They're they're in Tel Aviv. Wow. Yeah, and so so part of my job was communicating. Are they with football them. fans? And this was a, this was a great part of the story. Is uh, watch part of it is I I'd be waking up at t- early morning hours. They're up at late hours their time, and I'm explaining the basics of football because <laughs> there are certain things you know. What is this? This off season? This past off season? This, this past off season, right? And so it's very quick learning curve. Um, and we're, I'm working with them, and our whole team is working with them. Everyone on the Prime Vision team from Alex Strand. Scott Carpenter, Josh Friedenberg, we're working together to help teach them uh, football basics because the proliferation of the 3-4 defense, but it's actually a 3-4 personnel, four-man spacing, which is like a Von Miller who plays outside linebacker, but he rushes 99% of the plays. That was a big kink that we had to go over a hurdle because on Prime Vision, we're not highlighting the players that rush all the time. We're highlighting the unique blitzers. You have to be blitzing less than 60% of your rushes for us to pick you as a player to highlight because 
everyone knows there's going to be at least four rushers on every play outside of a prevent defense scenario. And so we're not choosing to highlight Von Miller or Dexter Lawrence or even train our model on those players. We're going to highlight those unique players. So I had to communicate with our uh, machine learning team in Tel Aviv. Hey, these are the certain position types. This is the player types. These are the scenarios in which we want to. And what what do you what do, what do you charge them with? What did you ask them to do? So we're using the next gen stats data feed that identifies um, which plays do players blitz, and then we're, I'm saying take this information in, use the RFID tracking chip data from Zebra and next gen stats that's in every player's shoulder pads. Yes. Yeah, so they, so so let me let me for people who don't know this. Every player in every game wears a tracking device. Two tracking uh, devices. One in each shoulder. Tra- one in okay. each shoulder pad, which is important because that gives us player orientation. Okay. All right. So they wear they wear tracking devices. And what happens is at the end of every game, you can tell how far this player has traveled, uh, the speed that this player has gone. It's it's the latest thing is to say, okay. You know, Devon Achan is, you know, has got and Tyreek Hill have five of the fastest six plays or whatever it is in the NFL this year. But you're using it for a slightly different reason when you're trying to predict what might happen before a play. And but before I ask you that question, how many people are in Tel Aviv working on this problem or working on this issue? Quite a few. I, I can't give you the exact number, but this is um, we have a team. They don't work on just defensive alert. There's a lot of other pro- projects that they work on, but it's all about making, um, you know, our our customers at Amazon uh, have the best viewing experience um, across the board, whether it's new innovations or different optimizations they can do. So tell me when you actually started working with them on this. Probably around uh, April or May, we had been ideating on the process since early of 2022 season because uh, that's when they tasked us like, hey, you're going to get access to this team. Start thinking about ways you can integrate best with them. And then uh, Alex Strand and Betsy Riley, they went over to, to Tel Aviv, met with the, the team, did some brainstorming, then came back and we were able to you know ideate on a few of the different ideas that we had. We probably had 15 different ideas. Um, we have about... Uh, I can't give you the exact number that have gone to production, but a lot have gone to the wayside that we've tried to accomplish and said push it off for later, for later times. But uh, we have we have the ability to continue iterating with them and talking about them about different ways that we can help expose new things to our fan base. And what I really like is we're not afraid of the big, hairy, audacious goals. We are looking to uh, try and do things that uh, people said that you can't do, uh, which has been a really fun part of the process. Okay, so I got about 14 questions, but let me ask one and then another one quickly after that. So how do you, how long does it take this team in Tel Aviv to understand the sport of football? So I guess it's a two-pronged process. Think of, think of it about, about football itself. I played football for 11 years. I built, wrote a rule book at the XFL, player compensation model, but I still don't know exactly what every safety's responsibility is on every play. I, I don't need to. I don't need to know how to be a back judge when I wrote a rule book. I don't need, in my current job, I don't need to know what a 
um, what the director and the associate director do on everything they do. So we all need to know what our special roles are. So honestly, if you can just take a basic data. That's like the Belichick thing, do your job. Exactly. (laughs) You can do your job. So there were some basics about football that they need to learn, but they didn't need to be me. I can be me. I'm the person who connects analytics and football together for a common goal. But I'm also not the person designing the artwork that goes on the screen. I'm not the person that's designing when we show certain plays on screen. You know, we have great people like Alex Strand, like Scott Carp and Josh Friedenberg, all these people working together that can then make sure we're putting this in the right spot for people. And we can have uh, the Tel Aviv team work on what makes them best is computer vision, machine learning. We don't use computer vision on this part of the project, but they are our CV computer vision, machine learning team. So they can use what makes them great. We just need them to know enough about football for them to be able to then get to this point because our numbers are much different than what other pe- what other products might be out there because we are focused on real-time, predictive, and not guaranteed to be right every time. Like you saw, the guys would light up with a red orb and not blitz. But 99% of the time, those are players that the quarterback has to keep their eye on. And it's helping you watch defense in a unique way. And your goal when you started this last spring, your goal in working with this team in Tel Aviv is to try to predict when defensive players are going to blitz. Is that correct? Yeah. When they're more than likely going to. Um, And so it's not like uh, exactly. We want to be a hundred percent right. Every time we light someone up red, because you're going to leave the options out. So, you know, a, a big defensive uh, front uh, from Mike Zimmer is called the double mug front, where they walk two middle linebackers up in the A-gaps. You'll see every team do it on third and seven plus on Sunday. And not every time do they rush, but the machine learning model is able to identify, hey, one of these two might rush. So we'll highlight both of them sometimes. Sometimes we won't highlight them, even though they're in that position, because the model is able to figure out in real time which one's the more than likely going to rush or they can't rush everyone because they have to cover some players. So it's, it's a really cool way to kind of to look at it and trust it. One of my favorite parts of the model is there are times where I'm wrong, where my rules take me to the wrong guy to take me there because these defensive coordinators, they know that offensive lines and quarterbacks have their own blocking assignment. Go to school on them, yeah. So, but the model is sometimes able to see through it yeah. and that's, that's part of the cool part of it is, and I can't read out why. What Another huge part of this, this is a living, breathing part of the, the broadcast because I can't tell, turn it on and off. I don't, I, you know, our team doesn't tell it, hey, only do it in certain scenarios, do it. We let it go. And we do it every play. Every single play, which is a fear of mine. I was like, well, maybe we just do it on the passing plays, but we're talking to the team and it's we watched multiple games in shadow mode. We had it you know, on all of our games before we released it in the Kansas City Broncos game. And it looks great on all the plays. And so it was unique for us. It wasn't just, hey, only for passing downs or blitzing downs. We're right. now able to get on all scenarios. And the model is able to know in certain down and distances, certain things are expected and unexpected. And we can now make predictions that way. Okay. I want to get into an example of this. And first of all, for people who are listening to this, understand that on the regular game broadcast uh, that you see, if you are just watching the football game, you know, as normal streaming with Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet, 
if you're just watching that, you're not going to see this. But if you tune to the prime vision with next gen stats, then you are going to see what Sam is talking about. And Sam, I want to go to one specific example of something we saw in the game on Thursday night. Okay. It was the first quarter, five minutes and 26 seconds left in the, in the first quarter. Uh, New Orleans has a third and seven at the Jacksonville 32. Okay. And what happens when this play is when Carr is, is surveying the defense and he starts to use his cadence, you see two red circles, you know, that are superimposed around uh, a, uh, a potential rusher, on the left-hand side of the offense and a potential rusher on the right-hand side of the offense. On the left-hand side of the offense was a uh, a slot corner named Trey Herndon, okay? And up to this point, and I checked with Next Gen on this after the game, up to this point, he had only blitzed 12 times all season. And yet, on this play, there is a circle, you know, circled, a red circle, encircling (laughs) Trey Herndon. And all of a sudden, the snap goes off, and he rushes. And most interestingly about this is that he gets to Derek Carr, and he basically makes the path of the football go off Okay, and he hits Carr, and the, and it's incomplete. And this turned out to be actually a very significant play because they then have to try a 51-yard field goal. It's no good. And so that play right there was a gigantic play in this game. It saved either three or seven points for the Jacksonville defense. So... Take me into that play, and why did the artificial intelligence and the model believe that Trey Herndon was going to be the guy who blitzed? So I'll give you uh, the first response will be a little disappointing. I cannot give you exacts. That's a large part of the machine learning process. Is we what the model is doing is taking in as many endpoints as uh, uh, in uh, information endpoints as it can. It knows the down and distance. It knows the alignment of every player on the field, offense and defense. And then there's expectations of all the plays of where players have blitzed from. And it's taking that bevy of information to then make a prediction. So I can't tell you the rules-based model. It's not a rules-based model where I can tell you this specific player is doing this that leads to the, the model spitting out the example. What I can tell you, though, is that it's seen so many different plays and so many different scenarios that it's intelligently a highlighting unique players. What it, it highlights both the slot corner on the left and the outside linebacker on the right of the offense. Trey Herndon being on the left side of the, the offense. Who it did not highlight was the middle linebacker, 23. And we even see on the film, which is so great because we're able to integrate it with the audio, Derek Carr points out the middle linebacker. And so that's where they take the protection to. 23 is the mic. 23 is the mic. 23 is the mic. That's where they're drawing the protection to. So that means that 
the the someone still has to block the edge defender on the right. That's where Carr is looking to throw to. That's likely where they had uh, Alvin Kamara blocking to, or Jamal Williams. I forget who was in that play. And so that's leaving that extra blocker free. So they chose to, hey, we thought there was a bigger threat with Aluakon, the middle linebacker. We're going to not block him. And so that's what's so unique is the model's able to pick up something that the offense did not. And so more often than not, extremely trained quarterbacks, they're going to be able to find everything. But there are those moments where these defensive coordinators are paid a lot of money to figure out new blitzes, to be able to identify, to be able to get these guys off guard. I know you have these certain rules. I know you're going to go most dangerous man and try and go block it inside out. But that does leave some guys open on the, the rush. So, again, I cannot tell you these specific reasons why. Uh, sometimes basic football rules get you there. Sometimes not. He is He is pressed up to the line of scrimmage. But know that the model is ingesting so many different plays to be able to train itself off of that it's able to identify these players when they're in unique spots. Sam, let's just – one other thing about this that is, that I think is very, very important. Okay, you've got all these factors. They've probably looked at every play, you know, in a matter of milliseconds that Jacksonville has run in – third and what between six and 10 or seven plus whatever it is and their tendencies on that. And they've got to do this in a matter of one or two seconds. And then they have to see where the defenders are being aligned. And when they've ever been aligned, when Trey Herndon has been aligned where he was, has he, even though he's only blitzed 12 times all season, if he's been aligned in that spot 10 times and come seven, well, they think there's a pretty good chance he might come this time. So it's multiple factors. And the one thing that artificial intelligence kind of tells me is that it has the ability to sift through a million factors in three seconds right. or maybe less. And is that part of this? Yeah, and so uh, um, it's uh, it's not the specific players doing specific things. I'll say that. Um, I can't go too much into the technical side of the model, um, other than that it is machine learning AI that is taking everything in, in real time. Uh, and so there are, you know, it's it's not identifying exact players. It's saying players in certain spots and positions um, to that matter. But it's even it's not even saying seven out of ten times this is happening. It, it's you know, I used to approach the game, and I know Andrew approached the game as a as a collection of if-then statements so that you don't have to have every play for every moment, right? I know I don't I can wipe out all of uh my the stuff I see the team do on third and two when it's third and seven as a player. But the model is ingesting so many different factors that it's not if-then statements that are that are being <laughs> governed that are governing what the model is doing. It's taking in everything, every scenario. If the safety moves over, how does that affect the corner? If there's motion on a play, how would that affect the play? Uh, if if they're if they're seeing yeah. scenarios, so it's taking in so much information. It's not necessarily going on to the granular. This player blitz this many times, so I think it's going to. It's taking in as many plays as it can as it's as it's training to be able to predict in the future. Okay, we got time. I got time for two other quick things. One, I realize that because of the technical aspect of what is actually allowed on the field, the, for instance, coaches cannot see 
what people are seeing at home. They can't see the red circle being drawn around Trey Herndon and warn their offensive line. Hey, listen, watch whatever number he is on the blitz. They can't see that. However, 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 I mean, what is to stop somebody from sort of perverting this process and somebody from what's to stop somebody from figuring out a way to, to see this and very quickly get a signal to somebody so that they know, for instance, who is very likely to blitz on this play. So it's not as a big of a deal because a guy like we have a panel of experts that review this film, right. That reviewed that help us. And so a guy like myself, Jeff Schwartz, we already see the game this way. The coaches that break down film, they're already looking at the similar type of tendencies to see this. So in real time, it doesn't really affect the game. Do you think, do you think right now that the saints coaches up in the box thought it was likely that Herndon was coming on that play? I think that some of them can see that, that they thought, oh, maybe we should have uh, been able to send the protection over to him. if they want Because to honestly, Sam, you know, the craziest thing about this, and I found myself thinking about this, that Dennis Allen doesn't know what you know, okay? And, and what you were highlighting on the screen. But some farmer in Des Moines knows because he's watching this on TV and he's a football nerd. So it's just, it's, it's very kind of very weird and very, very next, next phase. And, and I wonder, do you, have you had to talk to the league about security and about making sure that nobody is seeing this who shouldn't be seeing it in real time? Uh, no, you know they have so many checks and balances in place already, right? There's no technology allowed in the booth. Even the analytics experts that are going up in the booth and helping uh, tell coaches what to do in certain scenarios uh, in fourth down decision making, they have a printout book that they bring with them. So they already can't have technology helping them in the game decision making process. So no one's reached out about that. I know teams have reached out about, hey, we want to put your, we want to do this on our film, right? They think this would be a good teaching. <laughs> We have a, another feature called Prime Targets where we'll light up a player if they're more than likely going to convert a first down if they receive the ball in that moment, the light up green. So some teams have been like, hey, we, we'd like to do that with our film to help teach our players. And and that's the whole point of what makes this unique is we're showing fans uh, and our customers at home the hitting game that a, a highly trained player and coach could already see, right? And it's not being done on a replay or with a telestrator. It's not being done live. And that's what's so cool about what we're trying to do is we're pushing the envelope that way. And so it's attracted the attention of coaches, of analytics departments, of video departments. They're all interested in it, but no one's using it for nefarious reasons. Yeah. Last thing I would ask you. So what's the future of this? What's next? Where does this... Where are we headed with artificial intelligence and the NFL? So I think we've already had amazing machine learning breakthroughs. NGS has done a lot of great machine learning breakthroughs, um, helping understand like rush yards over expected, expected completion percentage. Those are some of the machine learning things. I think uh, what, what I know about Amazon 
um, having been here now over a year, uh, is that I, I don't I don't question anything as possible or impossible, right? I, I came from minor league football, and I had to do a lot of it on myself with Oliver Luck, Brian Kilmeade, uh, Eric Galco. Like, we had a small team. Uh, and now I come here, and we have the ability to where we can think of anything. And so this is a taste of now something that you know i've i've been passionate about for a while how do i how do i replace myself <laughs> you know how do i replace this how do i how does everyone get to see the game the way i see it so step one down but there's a lot of more things we can do on defense offense um and i think it's all about providing a guided view and experience so that we can super serve our fans we do have this all 22 camera angle that shows you the whole field yeah trained eye they love it because they're seeing it but to the untrained eye how do we now show you where your eye should go on a play so the sky's the limit. I think that um, the more, the better. It's you have to be tasteful with it. We can't uh, we can't light up every single player on every single play, right? We can't just uh, do bells and whistles everywhere. There's a different broadcast for that. So we're just trying to help give a guided view and experience to get people to be smarter. And so this is the this is the tip of the iceberg. We used to think that the first down line was the coolest new thing. And for a couple of years or a few years, it was cute. This is the next thing. This is it. You're showing it. And I think, I don't know how long it'll take, but this really should be a part of at least big games, in my opinion. It's fun. It was really different watching a game this way. And I would, I'd recommend to people who who have an option, you know, who don't, who are not just sitting there in a bar watching the game somewhere. If you have an option, you should try this, watch it for a quarter, see what you think. You're still going to hear the game broadcast, but you'll be seeing it really, really in a different way. And it's kind of fun. It's a little bit odd because it's distracting. You know, you find yourself looking not necessarily at the quarterback taking the snap. I'm telling you, I was looking a lot at the red circles at, oh, is he coming? Is he coming? And sometimes he'd come and sometimes he would, you know, and it was, it just is interesting. So you've given football fans some food for thought, Sam. Thank you. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I love that. We call them the red orbs. And so it's like, it's always, we say it's orbin time once the game's about to go on. Uh, uh, you know, the first time I saw it working in, in dot form. So I'm sure you've seen the dots. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Yeah. So we, our first readouts before we went on, I cried. I'm not going to lie. My, my fiance was here. She saw it happen. I was like, Oh my God. And then the first time I saw it as an overlay, I cried again. Um, yeah. it, it really is a project that I've been, that our whole group's been passionate about. Um, and the, for now to have the reception and have someone like you say, this is the future, um, is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is kind of a cool thing. Sam Shortstein, thanks a lot for taking the time. Uh, Amazon Prime Video with next-gen stats is a cool thing. And, um, you know, I hope people check it out. I think it'll be uh, a real add-on to football experience. Sam, thank you. Thank you. My thanks to Sam Shortstein, a really interesting topic uh, for the future of this game. And before Miles and I continue, let's take a break and we'll be back with a few final thoughts in this week's podcast.
I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me. Emerge as you. Tremphia guselkumab is proven to significantly reduce joint pain, stiffness, and swelling in adults with active psoriatic arthritis. Some patients even reported less fatigue as assessed by survey one week prior. Results may vary. Tremphia is taken by injection six times a year after two starter doses at week zero and four. Serious allergic reactions may occur. Tremphia may increase your risk of infections and lower your ability to fight them. Before treatment, your doctor should check you for infections and tuberculosis. Tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms of an infection including fever, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough. Tell your doctor if you had a vaccine or plan to. Emerge as you. Learn more about Tremphia, including important safety information, at tremphia.com or call 1-877-578-3527. See our ad in Food & Wine magazine. For patients prescribed Tremphia, cost support may be available. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. So, Miles, I think what really struck me about this is that, as I wrote in my column this week, some farmer in Dubuque, Iowa, can be watching this game and can see uh, in a red circle a guy who likely is about to blitz. And the coaches on the sidelines in this game, they may have their suspicions. But as I say... What's amazing about this is that Trey Herndon of the Jacksonville Jaguars basically had blitzed 12 times in six games all year. He's a slot corner. He plays near the line of scrimmage a lot. So just because he's up near the line of scrimmage standing across from uh, Michael Thomas of the Saints, does that mean he's going to blitz? No, absolutely not. But... The artificial intelligence that they basically, I, I mean, it's too strong, too wrong a word to say that it's been crowdsourced. It's been everything sourced. Mm -hmm. And so they predict that Trey Herndon is going to come and blitz, and he does. And people sitting at home can see this. And the coaches 25 yards away can't. They don't have that same amount of knowledge. It's really, it's quite extraordinary. But I'm just curious, your thoughts about maybe this uh, technology being available now and, and, and basically improving people's ability to be smarter fans. Well, I think whenever we start talking about people being smarter fans, uh, we always run the risk of, I don't know, making making ourselves seem smart or dumb or them smart or dumb. I don't know. It just, everybody, everybody kind of thinks that they know something about football that they might not necessarily know. Right. So I, 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 I feel like when you're watching the game, there are certain things that you might want to know or certain things you don't. And it, it does change the viewing experience. Cause I, I watched it a little bit. And then I was kind of like, I'm used to my, I'm used to consuming football in a certain way. 
And whether I'm home and I'm watching it, I like it a certain way. And when I'm at the stadium and I'm watching it, it's a different way. And it's kind of like, I need to get used to having more information at my disposal or seeing the all 22 in real time. Yeah. And it is really cool. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and act like it doesn't add to the experience of the game. If that's what you like, but if you don't like it and you're like, man, I'm used to seeing things one way and it, it is what it is. Like I, I totally understand that too. I do think that whenever you've got something like this and you mentioned this in your column too, it's kind of like, okay, what are the layers of protection that we've got between what this is, you know, what this technology is and how it's viewed at home and then what it's like in the stadium. Because as we're seeing with Michigan right now, look, teams, especially in football, will try to gain a competitive advantage whenever they can. And it's not like, you know, once you see things pre-snap, a coach can then radio down into the quarterback's helmet and be like, Hey, watch the blitz here. And look, because at a certain point, you have 15 seconds of the play clock that coach to, to quarterback communication gets shut off anyway. So there's that. And then there's the latency aspect of it. So there's things that can't necessarily yeah. happen anyway, but I, I do think that that then becomes one more factor. Right. And it's one of those things where I don't know if you can go back and watch the TV copy of that or streaming copy as it were of that, if you are a coach, but then like, that's another way you can learn certain things. If you're watching film is if that's on there, it's just another element that may influence and affect the way things are happening. So I think it's very interesting. Um, And I do think that there will be more and more elements of this kind of thing where you can identify likely blitzers that, I mean, that makes sense to, to integrate more and more into different broadcasts, just like we're seeing with analytics right now. A lot of times in different games, especially standalone games, you'll see where it's like, oh, the winning percentages say you should go in this situation, right? If it's fourth down or you shouldn't go for it. And then you can have that discussion among the broadcasters as either a punt's happening or they're lining up to go for it. So I think it can eventually become one of those kinds of elements of things where you're adding that into the broadcast. The one thing about this, Miles, that I think if I were a broadcaster, that I would be excited about. And if I were a coach, I might be asking the competition committee, should we be allowing this is, you know, one of the things that they are using as a factor in the artificial intelligence and the gathering of it is the fact that NFL players have sensors right now, movement sensors, motion sensors on them and in both of those in both of or in in these cases where they're trying to figure out what's going to happen on the next play those are the things that one of the factors that they're able to use that I think is tremendously interesting because in the case of let's say somebody who you're wondering is that guy going to blitz or if he isn't Suppose you find a guy and in his motion sensors, right before the snap of the ball, it's detecting in the six or eight seconds, he's, he's trying to get an edge or he's trying to do this. 
Whereas if he knows he's not going to blitz, he's just sitting back there and he's basically waiting for Michael Thomas to come off the line. So there are so many little, little factors in what make up the ability of artificial intelligence to glean quickly whether a guy has a chance to blitz. And just to get it right, for for people who, who just listened to Sam Schwartzstein, understand this year they decided at Amazon, we're going to take one element, one element of a very complicated game. And that is trying to project who's blitzing on a specific play. So they're going to take one element, okay? And next year in the offseason... They're going to look at something else. What will that be? No idea. Have absolutely no idea about that. But they're going to do something else next year. So to me, I just think this has a chance to be a little bit of the Wild West, where the mm-hmm. NFL in the competition committee is going to have to be saying, hey, let's make sure that what they're doing is not influencing the outcome of games. Yeah. And I know the delay helps, but I do think that's something. Um, I got a text from somebody in the NFL after I wrote what I wrote. It said he's more concerned than he is excited by mm. this. So anyway, we'll see. Miles, mm. last thing I want to get to. There are 16 teams in the NFL right now, this week, That's exactly half the league that have either three or four victories. So 16 out of 32, I will call them the great unwashed. Okay, I will just say, you know, who knows who's going to come out of this, you know, this middle class of the NFL this year. I'm going to pick two that I think are going to rise in the second half of this season, and I want you to pick two. <clears throat> so I'm going to pick my two. Then I'm just going to ask you quick discussion, and then you pick your two, and I'll tell you you're full of crap. Okay, so let's okay. let's just do that. <laughs> you tell me that I'm awful first, and then I'll tell you you're awful. But here's my two. The Los Angeles Rams at three and four. And the Seattle Seahawks at four and two. Give you my two sentences on each. The Rams, I am excited when I watch their offense now. Really excited. Even with the running back out for a while, I I still think that that passing game, I just love the way Matthew Stafford's playing. Seattle Seahawks, a young defense with a looming star who we're seeing explode right before our very eyes in Devin Witherspoon. I really like both of these teams. I'm not even saying that they both make the playoffs. I think Seattle will. So I don't know that the Rams are going to make the playoffs. I love watching the Rams. They needed to win that game the other day. They didn't, but I'm still kind of excited about them. Your thoughts briefly on both of those. Well, yeah, I I, th- I thought that the Rams were going to win that game and they just could not get anything done that they wanted to in the fourth quarter, whether it was on offense or on defense against Pittsburgh. And when Pittsburgh gets rolling, 
they just get rolling, man. I I don't know what it is about Mike Tomlin, but he just understands what that team needs <laughs> and yeah. how to get them to where they need to be. And I, I like Seattle too. I, I think this game that's going to be um, coming up on Sunday against the Browns is going to be really interesting because a, we don't know much about Deshaun Watson and whether or not he's going to play what his health status is with that shoulder, you know, how he's going to be looking we out. We don't there know anything about Deshaun Watson anyway. Exactly. And I, I mean, the, the, he said after that game against the Colts, you know, I only threw five passes and it, you can't really tell anything. It was, it wasn't necessarily a bad start. And it's like, dude, I don't know what you think a start is, but five passes is enough for me to say like you really didn't look very good before the injury. So I don't know what that's going to look like, but I think Seattle is on the rise and it's like they're de-aging Pete Carroll in some way, you know, I mean, it just, he's <laughs> over 70 and you would just never would think They're it based on the way he, he is on the field. Um, I would tell you yeah. went with two NFC teams. I'll go with two AFC teams and mine would be Cincinnati and also Houston. Now I don't know that Houston's going to make the playoffs. I like those. I, I like those. Yeah. But I, I anticipate that Cincinnati will, I mean, like I was saying earlier in the show, Cincinnati's on the rise. They've still got Joe Burrow. You know, they're going to be coming off the bye this weekend. So maybe hopefully his calf will feel that much better. And it's not like he's been looking all that terrible in the last couple of weeks anyway. And he and Jamar chase have been on the same page. So those things I think are positives for them. And that defense under Luan Rumo has been continuing to get better, especially on the edges where you've got Trey Hendrickson playing as well as he is. So I, I think Cincinnati is certainly going to be a factor, but Houston, they've got CJ Stroud playing great. Now this matchup this weekend, as you mentioned in your column, one of the better matchups of the weekend, because you've got the number one overall pick versus the number two overall pick. I don't think that there's any question that the number two overall pick has been the best rookie quarterback in the league so far this year. And Bryce Young just has not. And, you know, he's going to have a new play caller this week, too, and Thomas Brown. So that's going to make things interesting. But I just feel like Houston feel that I think Houston is on its way to establishing a program under uh, uh, um, head coach D'Amico Ryan's. Like I just, th the way Ryan, things yeah. are working there, it feels right. You know, and they've got a plan for the young quarterback that they've implemented and it works defensively. You understand exactly what they're trying to do every week and they're flying around. So again, I don't know if they'll make it to the playoffs, but kind of like the, we were saying about the Rams, they're going to be fun to watch and they're going to be a very tough out for anybody. You, if you play the Houston Texans, I feel like you're going to feel them. So I, I love those two teams. I really love those two teams because you're right. One of the reasons I didn't pick the Bengals is that I think we all think that the Bengals are probably back on the straight and narrow, probably headed to the playoffs, but, you know, we'll see. They got a tough schedule. But here's what really interests me about the Houston Texans. On their schedule the rest of the way, Carolina, Arizona, Denver, Tennessee, and Tennessee. Hmm. Now, in the immortal words of Laura King, I'm just saying. So <laughs> let's just say in those games that they get a little bit fat, that they, you know, win a few of those games. 
maybe win them all or, or whatever. But, I mean, they win a few of those games. All of a sudden, the Houston Texans will be playing meaningful football in December. Yes. I, that, uh, that shocks me to say, but I think they're going to be, uh, you know, right after Thanksgiving, right in that range, they're going to be sitting there right around 500, maybe a little bit less, but you look at their schedule and say, man, Tennessee's mailed it in. They got them twice, uh, mm-hmm. whatever. And by the way, we didn't even talk about Kevin Bayard in this, in this uh, podcast, but wow, that's a great move by Philadelphia. And by the way, is uh, Derrick Henry next? I wouldn't be surprised if some team says, let's go get Derrick Henry. And look, to me, the Bayard price was pretty favorable. You know, I, I in, in my opinion, and and so look, I mean, you're Rand Carthon, you're the Tennessee general manager right now, and I don't mean to give this short shrift, but I believe that the Tennessee Titans are open for business, and they are going to be one of the teams that try to own the draft next year. So mm-hmm. if you want Derrick Henry, come on and offer me a three or maybe a four and a five. And I'll give you Derrick Henry, and he can be the best back in football in the last half of this season. Could be. Could be. Um, and I've thought about a bunch of teams, you know, with Derrick Henry. And I don't know. I look at a bunch of teams, and I just say, Miles, let me just ask this one question. Okay. What if you're Brett Veach right now? What if you're Kansas City right now? And what if you say... What if we got Derrick Henry to close out games in the fourth quarter? What if we got him to be our battering ram in the fourth quarter and in the third quarter of games? Not that he wouldn't play a lot before then, but if you just said, look, I know this guy has taken a lot of carries in his life and we don't want to run him 23 times a game, but what if we spot him with Isaiah Pacheco? What if we did that? And again, I'm not saying that, A, this is the only place he could go, but I'm totally fascinated. I started thinking about that after the Bayard trade. And if you are Tennessee, do you try to make the best possible deal you can right now for Derrick Henry? I would would be intrigued by that. I would also be intrigued if uh, Kansas City called them about DeAndre Hopkins because clearly that's another role that, look, they need that possession receiver, Rushy Rice. Great job making that catch in the back of the end zone against the Chargers. He's starting to grow into it, but if you can get DeAndre Hopkins and enhance that offense, I don't know. Maybe that's something that you want to do at the right price. They did get McCole Hardman back, and obviously he played a big role in that win over the Chargers too. I would posit the Rams, though, as another potential team if you're looking at Derrick Henry and thinking maybe he could go somewhere. Now, the Rams want to run the football, right? They they obviously did that very well a couple weeks ago against the Cardinals in the second half, and now that, you know, Kyron Williams goes down, he, maybe that's a position that you want to enhance yeah. and say let's give ourselves that much better of a chance to run the ball well and win, and then we I will, can also I will just, play that Miles, on Matthew Stafford and Nakua and, and you know, and Cup. 
I'll make this point in a contrary fashion because I think Derrick Henry probably is worth something still in terms of good draft choices. The Rams have basically internally, and again, who knows, things can change in the next week or so before the trading deadline. Things can change, but I will just say this. If I'm the Rams... I really would like to be able to try to build my team in the next couple of years without semi-bankrupting my draft to get a player who might only give us the rest of this year. Who knows? I don't know. A year and a half, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. I, I the like... I, is not look, young. I think they've drafted very well for where they've drafted, but... And I don't know what they're going to do, but if I'm the Rams, I'm saying, look, you know, if I'm Kevin Demoff, I got to stand in the personnel office and I have to say, look, I'm going to be the adult in the room. We're not trading for Derrick Henry. We're not giving up a three and a four. <laughs> you know, so and who knows what will happen. But anyway, Miles, we have gone far beyond anybody's idea of what normal time is for a podcast. I do think at one point this year, we're going to have a three-hour podcast. And why not? We are so fascinating. People love listening to us. We, we know everything. So a three hours, hey, just more fun. But right. anyway, I, I'm going to close my podcast with a note from my column this week, just in case people might have missed the column. And look, I understand that not everybody can read for 45 minutes every week and all that. But I do want to read you something from my column this week that you may have missed. It is in the category of factoidness. And here we go. Among the members of the Alice in Chains and Friends League, a fantasy football league based in Los Angeles, colon, Jerry Cantrell and Mike Inez, Members, Alice in Chains. The Miz, a professional wrestler. Jeff Garland, actor from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Michael Buble, singer-songwriter. Jerry O'Connell, actor. Slim Jim Phantom of the Stray Cats. Scott Ian of Anthrax. Duff McKagan of Guns N' Roses. And Michael Fabiano, a Sports Illustrated fantasy writer. (laughs) What a league. But in the category of draft pick of the year, I say, in this year's fantasy draft, Buble picked ahead of Garland. And Garland is a huge Bears fan. Both wanted Chicago quarterback Justin Fields. Buble picked Fields. Garland settled for Tua Tonga-Valoa. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the kind of inside information that you can get in only one place. Football morning in America. On sale every morning at your local newsstand. No, it's not on sale. You can get it for free every Monday morning at NBCSports.com. So, anyway... Well, Miles, we had a little bit of fun this week. We talked about a lot of different things. 
And somehow, somewhere, I didn't really think that entering the mid midpoint of this NFL season, that we'd spend a 29-minute conversation with somebody talking about artificial intelligence and the future in the NFL. But that's the way life goes sometimes. Miles, thanks so much for taking all of your time. And everyone out there, thanks for listening and experiencing the Peter King Podcast. We'll be back with another episode next week. Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Sell order assessment fee not included. A limited number of ETFs are subject to a transaction-based service fee of $100. See full list at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.